Welcome back, everyone. This is Tom Parrish. If you're a colorist and you have an interest in color checking all the displays in your studio, not just your reference display to see if it's still spot on or not, but what about client displays? Maybe you also have a projector. You all know how the bulbs tend to drift with those over time. And you need to periodically update any display correction lots or LUT boxes that you have. Then you're going to want to know more about Kalman 5.3 and the way it interfaces with DaVinci Resolve. And using DaVinci Resolve as a pattern generator. It's really pretty cool. One less thing to have to hook up. Derek Smith is here with me from SpectraCal. And we're going to talk about this in much more detail along with some new developments from display vendors like Azo, TVLogic, and Panasonic, who are now providing 3D LUT capability built right into their display hardware. And they directly interface with Kalman. So, without further ado, Derek, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tom. I always enjoy being on your show. I love listening to your interviews with other people. They're always informational. And yes, we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about today. All right, cool. Well, then we'll just jump right in. You've got my interest peak. Let's break this conversation into two parts. Let's say we'll talk about Kalman Resolve capabilities and how they interface and what you can do with them. And then I'd like to hear more about the EZO partnership and the 4K Panasonic monitor partnership, TV Logic, and whatever else is in there. Does that work for you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, my understanding is that Resolve 10.1 and Kalman 5.3 can be easily hooked together to calibrate your studio monitors using Resolve, essentially using Resolve as a display generator, which is pretty cool. So tell us a little bit about that. How's that work and, and uh, what are the advantages of that? Well, going back a little bit in history, typically where calibration systems usually um, either start to get very expensive or difficult to set up is the pattern generator. You know, we've worked on making our software available to all levels, anywhere from enthusiasts all the way up to, you know, industrial and studios. And we've worked with meter manufacturers like X-Rite to get us very affordable, cost-effective, yet quality and accurate meters. The missing piece from that puzzle has always been, okay, I've got those two parts, now I need to generate patterns. And, there's, and there are pattern generators out there. We manufacture a couple. Um, we have several partners that we resell theirs, and there's, there's other vendors available. But a standalone pattern generator has cost anywhere from you know, $1,500 to $5,000 to be able to generate these high-quality patterns, essentially what we call reference-level patterns. About a year ago, we started working with um, AJ and Blackmagic to support their standalone video cards and also their Thunderbolt devices with mm -hmm. a product we call our Virtual Forge. And so if you have one of those, then you can essentially use that device. But what we did with DaVinci Resolve is working with their team is since they already have access and an interface to their own hardware, the Blackmagic hardware, whether it's a card in your machine or one that's running under Thunderbolt mm -hmm. as a secondary video output directly from Resolve, we've been talking to them about just using Resolve as a pattern generator. And the benefits with that are the end user doesn't have to go buy another pattern generator. It's essentially just built into Resolve. And so essentially what we all, all we have to do is provide the software and the meter in a bundle or a package. And somebody that's using Resolve, whether it's even Resolve Lite or the um, Resolve Professional, the one you buy, um, you know, somebody that's just starting out or somebody that's been using it for a while, they now have a complete package with this missing piece that we've had. All right. So talk us through the process. How does that, how does the whole thing sort of fit together and work? If you wanted to say you had a Flanders, 
display. Uh, we'll get to the plasma displays in just a moment. But uh, and you wanted to use Kalman. Uh, I guess it would be running on a PC like you have it, and then you would be interfacing it to resolve, and then there's some way to get the two hooked up to one another over a network, I assume, right? Yes. So basically in resolve, there's some additional drop-downs um, on LUT management and also for color management. Mm-hmm. And if you go down to those selections, you can um, select the Calman pattern generator interface. And when you select that, basically what happens is resolve is now listening for a network connection from Calman, and then once Calman connects to it, then it's continuing to listen for commands to essentially bring up whatever patterns you want. And these patterns are brought up in the, in your editing window. And so if you've got your editing window on your Mac or PC or on a secondary monitor, wherever that's being shown, those patterns will be displayed on that. So a lot of studios are using plasma displays. Now, mind you, I think there's a slow shift to this, to OLED, but for the most part, you have a lot of color grading studios, editing studios that use plasma, especially for the client monitor or the hero monitor. But those have to be calibrated using some special care and consideration. And uh, so how is it that Kalman handles that with regards to the automatic power managing circuits in there that uh, tend to screw things up when you're trying to accurately calibrate? Well, one of the things that we found when we started working with the DaVinci Resolve team is they already had an existing interface um, in for supporting pattern generators. But when we looked at the protocol, we found one missing piece, and that was the ability to implement proper APL reference patterns, so basically an average picture level pattern. And that really affects how you can calibrate plasmas. Uh, projectors with auto iris, and then now also LCD systems that have local dimming capability. So essentially what we did is we, we worked with them and said, okay, we need to be able to generate RGB triplets. So we need to be able to, on a foreground window, the center window that most meters are reading from, you know, that little center window, we try to make it right. as small as we can on a plasma, but we need to be able to generate RGB triplets. So any value, whether you're in 8-bit, you know, 0 to 255, or in 10-bit, 0 to 1024, um, in red, blue, or green. So we can essentially generate any color. Um, But we found is we also need to be able to do the same thing with the background. And so, for instance, here's a good example. So say we we shrink that little window down, and we start measuring a 10% window in the center, and everything's fine. And then you go to a 100% window, Mm -hmm. and what will happen is, specifically on plasmas, is their power circuits will start limiting how much light output the plasma can actually generate. And having it in a center window will often cause the plasma to shift its black level or its overall light output. And when we're trying to calibrate a display, you don't want that happening. Basically, you want to be able to turn all that stuff off. And unfortunately, on plasma, we can't. They're just built in, and that's how plasmas work. Right. So what we found is if we have what we call as a constant APL, we can actually vary the background as well. So if we've got a 10% window on the foreground, the little center window, we will bring up the background slightly so the overall drive of the display is the same amount, whether it's at 10%, 20%, or even 100%. So, so is it the same color as the color patch is up, or is it a... Well, what we also found is if you're using a white window, you know, we're calibrating um, mm-hmm. chromaticity or um, gamma... Uh, white balance, then the background is the same color as the foreground. It's just different luminance or intensity. But when we start getting into 3D LUTs and color management systems, we're starting to work our way all the way around the gamut. Um, We found that if you just bring up a gray background with a colored center, that's not the same as 
a constant APL for just white. And so what we'll do with this new advanced algorithm is we'll actually shift the background to the opposite side of white. So for instance, if we're bringing up a blue center patch, and if we look through white, from, from blue through white to the opposite side, we're typically looking at somewhere in the yellow region. So the background will have a slight yellow tint to it. So it's basically the opposite of what color you're measuring through white on the background to compensate for chromaticity shift as well as luminance shift. So let's just talk this through. Let's say you didn't have that uh, constant I'm sorry, the constant APL capability with this uh, complementary hue, essentially, that, that gets put in there at a slightly lower level. What would be the end result after you've finished calibrating? When you, you know, what, what, uh, what, what's the problem you actually end up with? What's the image look like? Well, effectively, what happens is you're getting invalid readings. Because the display mm -hmm. is a, is changing underneath you. You know, you think it's constant. You bring up reference patterns, and the display should just show whatever it is. But depending on what you're showing on a plasma, it will change. And so what we're trying to do is force the plasma effectively kind of into submission so it will behave in a constant way. No matter what picture, what pattern, what level, or what color we put up on it, it will always behave the same way. We try to keep those power circuits at the same constant level no matter what we're showing. And if they're moving around then effectively your calibration will be, will be ineffective or will have larger errors in it than um, if you didn't have it done that way. So uh, I'm curious with, I'm calling it hue balancing <laughs> in the pattern. We haven't come up uh, with a name for it yet. So we, in fact, we may use that. So we're currently writing the white paper on this. So I'll, I, I'll actually have our Tom put that in the white paper. We'll call it hue balance. I was calling it chromaticity, but that's, hue, hue works as well. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> but uh, once you explained it to me earlier and you sort of explained that, that uh, the background would be essentially less uh, in luminance, but it would be a complementary color. And I thought, well, well, it's kind of hue balancing. Anyway, you call it constant APL. Does um, Would you use this for anything else besides uh, plasma? I think you mentioned um, certain projectors and some of the new LCDs. This certainly affects projectors have auto iris. If you yeah. can't disable or turn auto iris if off, you can't disable which some right. you can, yeah. some you can't, but if you can't disable it, then you can also use that this in um, similar condition where you can essentially force the iris to be at a constant rate. And so the iris isn't changing on you while you're trying to calibrate. Um, we also have the same thing with local dimming displays. And now that our friends Panasonic are no longer producing plasmas, primarily, you know, plasmas at all, and that's a lot of the secondary monitors, right. or hero monitors were Panasonic's, they, they may shift to some other manufacturers, Samsung or LG. But more and more companies are going to start switching to LED-based backlights or even OLED-based backlights um, or OLED right. systems. And what happens on those is you want to keep your overall picture the same. And if you have local dimming capability, then it may affect what your pattern actually, how your pattern's being read. And so, again, by having a constant background or a, a constant um, picture level background, then we're effectively defeating the local dimming capability, just like in an auto iris where we're defeating that capability as well. Nice. Smart, too. Uh, I, I uh, always wondered about that. This all comes from, you know, the research we do in the lab, feedback we get from the field. You know, often we get these questions or we get these queries, you know, I'm trying to calibrate this system, it's behaving this way, or it's, I'm trying to do this and it's not working. And yeah. so 
Exactly. Then we find out what they're doing, what their equipment, what projector or display or whatever they are. And if we're working with the manufacturer, we usually have them send us one. We put it in our research mm-hmm. lab and we try to replicate the problem. Once we've replicated the problem, we try to understand what is really happening. And then we try to come up with a fix. And in this particular case, having the, the hue varied constant background, um, we found works on many, many display types. In addition to that, hmm. it has no side effect on current LCDs. So if you just switch to using constant APL on every display type you're working on, it will work on everything. Oh. And so it's not like you have to have oh. one for LCD and one for everything else. You just use it on everything. It, it has no side effect on using it on displays that don't need it. I'll be darned. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. Well, back to Resolve and Kalman. Um at the sort of at the gear level, can I use the um, Resolve Kalman Duo to calibrate my iMac or my MacBook Pro laptop? If, assuming I don't have a reference monitor, but I use Resolve. Um, yes, in fact, we support Resolve Lite, um, or again, the the paid version of Resolve. The interface is the same to us. Um, essentially, the mechanics are. Um, you have your Calman running on either the same computer, if it's a Windows-based computer, or on a separate computer. You fire up Resolve. You say, I want the, the SpectraCal Calman generator interface. It comes up, and it's just waiting for us to connect. You go over to Calman. You type in the IP address of the computer that's running Resolve. Then we bring up patterns. And from there, then we can generate cubes. I mean, we can generate 3D LUTs. So it's essentially what all of this is for, is we want to calibrate whatever display that Resolve is running on. And so from that, we go into Calman's cube generator. You go down the, the drop-down list. You select uh, Blackmagic DaVinci Resolve as the LUT type. Um, then you go to right. our, our cube um, calibration interface, our workflow. Um, you go down to the cube section, put the meter on the screen, press go. And anywhere from about 30 to 45 minutes later, we've generated a 3D LUT as a file. And then you take that file from Calman and you load it into Resolve in the um, editing workflow. Preferences. Yep. Right. Exactly. And that affects the output. So, so we've essentially used an additional feature. I mean, typically you have 3D LUTs in Resolve for creative. You know, you're doing your creative work right. in there. Um, but they've also given us the ability to load corrective LUTs as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. All right. So what's this going to set me back? What's it cost? So this was, we've talked to a lot of people in the industry, and this is one of the reasons why we just didn't rush it out. I mean, we've been working on this since last September um, with the Resolve team and various others and, and kind of looking at what the landscape was like. And we knew, kind of give a little bit of history on, on how we come up with our pricing on this particular one, is we knew we wanted to to go in and kind of conquer the bigger studios first to gain reputation because mm-hmm. we're the new guys on the block. We've only been in the studio market for about three years now. Um, and there have been established players that have been much longer, um, that, you know, have people know their name. And so we, we knew that we had to get some essentially reference accounts that, that everybody would recognize. Right. And we did that last spring, a year ago, right around NAB. You know, we started working with Technicolor. Mm-hmm. They've uh, standardized on Calman and all their studios. Uh, Company 3, Photocam. Cool. Um, we just got a long list of studios, and mm-hmm. we've been able to go in and show them the benefit of using Calman. You know, ease of use, it's fast, um, supports anything and everything. So if you've got a meter, we probably support it already. Um, it's easier to train people on. But we knew, you know, that's that's kind of a limited market. You know, there's a bunch of studios out there, but, you know, we, we can't 
right. grow the company large on just studio sales. You know, we can establish reference accounts. Right. So we knew that the Resolve users to us were key. We wanted to tap into the more independent colorist market or the editor market, mm-hmm. and Resolve was a perfect place to make that happen. But it's interesting because Resolve has an interesting model. Their software's free. So, yeah. so where do you start from free? Well, we can't give we can, our software can't be free. You know, I still have to pay my employees and you know pay yeah, and pay the rent and everything. So, um, and then I started looking into the Resolve pricing model. Why is Resolve free? Because typically, in order to get a quality outfit from Resolve, you have to buy a Blackmagic card. You know, whether it's right. a secondary video card or one of their Thunderbolt interfaces. I thought, well, that's actually pretty good right. marketing. So people use the free version. They get used to it. They figure it out on their Mac or PC. And then once they get serious about what they're going to do, okay, now I'm really going to get serious. I'm going to start using a secondary monitor and look at the interface. And at that point, when somebody's running a secondary monitor, they are interested enough to then probably want to calibrate it as well because they've spent money on a secondary video card. Mm -hmm. So we looked at that monitor and said, well, how do we fit? So what we're going to do is we price the product so it fits well within kind of the marketplace for the more independent you can kind of think of it as our studio product, Calman Studio, which generates 3D LUTs and supports all this hardware and you know does a really good job on 3D LUTs. This is, I won't call it Studio Lite because it's not really, it's just the studio product specifically for Resolve. Mm-hmm. It's trimmed down to only support Resolve. It only supports Resolve LUTs. It only supports Resolve um, as a pattern generator. And so we felt if we were able to take out all these other features that a larger studio would typically need, we can justify the price point. So Derek... Let's talk about the partnership with, uh, is it Ezio? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, I call it Azo. <laughs> I, I assume it's a Japanese company, so it's kind of more of longer on the E, I guess. But Azo. Okay. <laughs> well, I think I saw an announcement at uh, CES that Azo is building reference display TVs, and they're also offering 4K. They're, uh, Azo's broadening their reach into a lot of more markets. You know, traditionally, they've been really high-end, high-quality kind of monitors for your Mac or PC. But if you look at what it actually takes to make a monitor today, there's really not a lot of difference between what we call a monitor and a television anymore. And so they're all running some form of an operating system, probably Linux underneath. They use the same electronics, the same interfaces. So to scale something up from just essentially a, a PC or Mac monitor to more of a television, you know, it's just electronics and, and some other work, but, but it's relatively straightforward to go from one market to the other. So with Calman 5.3, we've got a long list of hardware. I mean, this is a, a really significant release for this. These are, these are companies that we've been working with for about two years, mm-hmm. working on direct Calman interfaces. We did this with our consumer markets for you know, kind of the best buys and installers, the CDA market, where they want to go in and just plug in Calman to the TV, hook up a meter and say go, and it essentially calibrates it. Yeah. And the studio market really didn't have that. You know, I know the Azos have the ability, they've got often, most of their models have built-in meters and generators, and they kind of self-calibrate. But the other manufacturers didn't have all that capability. So we've been working with them for about two years, and finally, 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 they all came to us at once this last fall. And, well, CES was coming up and NEB is right. coming up. So Makes and, sense. And they, wanna, and they all wanted to have these features. So all of a sudden, last fall, um, all these boxes just started showing up in my office. And they were boxes from Azo and from Panasonic and Flanders and TV Logic. 
um, and several others that I can't talk about yet. But I mean, the list just keeps going on and on and on and on. And the goal for us was to essentially do the same thing for the studio market. And so we worked with Azo. And the cool thing about it is Calman can now directly support Azo. We can directly connect to the meter that's built into the Azo display and use it as a meter. We can directly nice. connect to the pattern generator that's built into the Azo as a pattern generator. Mm-hmm. We can also directly connect to the 1D LUTs and the 3D LUTs that are in the new Azo displays as well. And so essentially, you hook up Calman, you say, I want to hook up to the meter, the generator, and the cube interface, and press go. And we will basically have the monitor self-calibrate and create 3D LUTs for itself using Calman. So if you have an Azo monitor, this is a great release for you guys because it's essentially hook everything up, press go. Um, People are asking, well, why don't I use the built-in self-calibration or their external software for calibration? Those are geared more towards PC or Mac use and are only calibrating the 1D LUTs and Mm. the color management interfaces. These newer monitors have 3D LUTs in them. And so we use Calman to calibrate the 3D LUTs. And that's one of the reasons Azo wanted our software in is because, you know, we can basically say, yes, it's all supported now. It's completely integrated with Calman. So so that was Azo. Great partner, great displays. Um, They've got newer backlights. These are all new BG, the blue-green LED backlights. And I'll touch on that after. Yeah, we're starting to see a lot of those. So I kind of want to touch on that because that's one of the the new features in 5.3. So our next partner uh, is TV Logic. We've been working with them for a while, right. and they've had 3D LUT capability in one or two of their models, but it was typically you had to generate a file and then use their software to load a file up into it uh. and then go back and then verify it. Uh, so we worked with them, and they've given us direct access control of their displays. Um, this is over a serial port, and so again, in Calman, you go in and hook it up and say, I'm using a TV Logic on this serial port. We go and we verify the model number. Uh, make sure it has 3D LUT capability. Mm-hmm. And then essentially the same thing happens. You go into Calman, you say go, uh, press a button, you come back uh, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to an hour and a half later, depending on your quality of LUT you chose. Mm-hmm. And we've generated the LUT, written to the LUT, and then you can just press verify. And so it removes all these additional steps that typically it would take if you're writing file-based LUTs. So the next one, uh, Panasonic. This is, it kind of caught me off guard because we were, we are, and we were under NDA with Panasonic on their 4K display. Um, It's a 32 inch 4K studio monitor. And then I saw they announced it at CES. I'm like, well, if they announce it, I guess we can talk about it. So what's, (laughs) what's unique about this is Panasonic has been uh, a longtime partner of ours, even back to the pioneer days um, for our consumer markets. You know, we support pretty much all their consumer displays, um, some of their broadcast displays. Uh, we're working on some of their video wall stuff now. So really, really long-term relationships with Panasonic. We met with them early last fall, and they came to us and said, okay, we're working on a new monitor. We know we don't have plasma anymore, and so we want to create something that's just spectacular for the studio market, the broadcast market. We said, okay, you got to come You got to come to the table with 3D LUTs. And they're like, oh, okay. And... <laughs> and uh, they're like, uh, that's a lot of work, you know, because yeah, well, yeah. they'd already kind of designed the display. And we're like, oh. yeah, that is a lot of work. But if you're going to come to NAB 2014 and you want to get sure. recognized, your displays better have 3D LUT capability. Uh, otherwise, you're just, you're just going to be left behind. And so what Panasonic announced at CES a couple of weeks ago and that we've been working with them on is a 32-inch 4K that has 3D LUTs in it. And that, to my knowledge, that is the first 4K display that has 3D LUTs. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. I'm sure there will be, um, but that's the first one I've heard about. 
Cool. So going down the list, uh, the next one is uh, Flanders Scientific. And so they actually came up with a, th- a new 3D LUT format. And so they're newer monitors, and I know they're talking about doing some firmware updates for some of their older monitors for a new LUT format, which uh, Bram came to me two Saturdays ago, sent me an email, said, here's the LUT format. You know, hopefully you can get it in in the next couple of weeks. And by that Saturday night, I'd already put it in a Calman, sent him back a file and said, okay, here's the file that Calman generated. And he goes, that's perfect. It's in. And so they're a great partner to work with moving forward. <laughs> oh, Bram and his team. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. They're great partners. Um, anything else? Uh, yeah. So I wanted to touch briefly on BG Backlight Systems because this oh, is something that's coming yes. up and it's something new. People may not have seen it before. We're going to start seeing that in the studio markets, broadcast markets. So if we go back to LCD, the traditional backlight for that has been CCFL, basically um, fluorescent tubes that are built into the display. And if you wanted to hit a wide gamut, like beyond Rec. 709, you know, you wanted to hit Adobe RGB or DCI-P3, you would go to the manufacturer that made your fluorescent tubes and you say, okay, I need this type of gamut. And they're really difficult to hit. It was really expensive phosphors. Um, they didn't have a, a, a real long runtime. They had a lot of shift. But you could huh. do it. And so that's yeah. how LCD-based studio monitors did it, is they did it with CCFLs. But then the manufacturers came out with LED. And everybody's like, oh, LED's cheaper. It lasts longer. It doesn't drift as much. Um, the problem with LED is that most backlight systems were white. They're not essentially right. white. They call them white, but they're, they're, they're uh, a very, very bright blue that they dope with yellow phosphor. So, th- so if you look at the spikes, you get this huge blue spike. You get a little bit of green and a little bit of blue, which means you can hit maybe Rec. 709 if you're lucky. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not in red because there just wasn't a lot of energy there. And so they just couldn't use that technology for Broadcaster Studio because they need to be able to hit often beyond Rec. 709 for the other right, standards. right. Another way of doing it is you use discrete LEDs. You have a red, green, and blue LED. But that drives the cost and the complexity up, up way up. Um, you know, it can be tenfold in the cost to be able to get a qual- high-quality uh, reference monitor with discrete RGB. So we knew that they were redesigning the backlight systems about a year ago. And so what they did is it's called BG, and it's blue-green. And what they've done is they have blue just like they did before, but they added a a discrete green LED as well. So we've got lots and lots of green energy now. Mm -hmm. And then they still dope the blue, but now they're doping the blue with more red. And so they can essentially hit DCI-P3 for red, green, and blue. So we've got full gamut. And then if you change the phosphor mix and the LED mix, you can hit Adobe RGB because greens are kind of shifted from one side to the other. It's difficult to hit both. Um, So you can hit one or the other. And so most of these newer wide or, or um, DCI-capable monitors now that are LED are going to have BG backlights. And so just kind of heads up to everybody, that's, that's what's coming down the line. And essentially, you know, the, the new TV Logic, the Azos, the Panasonics, uh, the newer Flanders, they're, they're all using BG backlights now. Oh, really? Instead of CCFL. Yeah, they've all switched over to BG backlights on, on, their, on you know, certain models that they're going forward with. But... Uh BG backlight. There's, there were some monitors last year. I, I ran into one of them in a calibration. I think I sent you an email about it back in September, where, yeah, you know, I couldn't find an appropriate setting for it with one of the colorimeters I was using. And, yes, uh, I think it was and, a Dell or an HP or I can't remember now. 
It yeah, was, con- consumer monitors are starting. Yeah, the um, it was a consumer computer monitor. monitor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Usually the higher end Dells, uh, HP, Asus are starting to come up BG backlights as well. Yeah. So yeah, our our SpectraCal C6. I've talked about this before, but I'll I'll just kind of mention it briefly. Sure. Is it has the ability to be field upgradable. So yeah. as manufacturers change backlight technologies, you know, like they just came out with BG, or mm-hmm. you know, as more and more starting to come up with OLED, or different mixes for you know LCD or or whatever. Um, we're able to add additional calibration tables to the C6 in the field, which means essentially all you have to do is let download the latest version of Calman, and then when Calman connects to the meter the first time, we can download whatever additional table we need to it. And I think we're up to 20, 20 different calibration tables now. You don't have to send the meter back. Traditionally before, in order for this to happen, everybody have to send their meter back to us. We'd run it through the calibration lab, right. and we'd have to recalibrate every single one of them individually, which was a huge task for the user. It was a pretty good revenue stream for us, <laughs> but but uh, it was just a pain for everybody else to have to do that. You know, Typically, what would happen is people would hold off until they needed to get a new NIST certificate for their meter. They'd send it in, and we'd just update it with whatever, tech, whatever um, newer technology we have. But now with C6, we just keep adding more and more backlight or tables to it as as they come out. Yeah, I mean, it just happens when you plug it in and you bring up Kalman, from what I've noticed. Like, whoop, there's another there's entry another in another entry in the drop-down list. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Derek. It's been really interesting. And personally, I'm excited to test this out now in my studio. Yes, Tom, thank you very much. Uh, I enjoy being on your show. Uh, kind of a couple notes in uh, leaving here. If anybody wants any more information about our Resolve capability or information, um, you can send an email to resolve at Um But more importantly, we're looking forward to NAB this year. Um, we're going to have a very, very exciting booth. Uh, we have, I think, seven or eight display manufacturers in our booth. We're also going to be in their booth. Um, so if anybody wants a, you know, basically a personal walkthrough, come by and see us at our NAB booth this year. We're really excited about it. We're bringing on additional people just to handle, just to help us handle the booth traffic this year. You know, we've got uh, friends, you know, Dave Abrams, Ray Coronada, you know, pretty much anybody we can recruit to come and help us in our booth. We're asking them because we're just going to be, uh, it's going to be exciting. I mean, everybody's really, really excited about 3D LUTs and displays now. I mean, that's kind of where everything's going. Thank you very much, Derek, and special thanks to all the listeners. Hope to see you in NAB.